Fourth time lucky. Here we go. Is this because we've given you the hosting rights and you're Honestly, now the parent of the group? You need to you need to take this back away from me. You're doing a grand job, son. You're doing a grand job. I'm so glad I've um, come back into this. I mean, it's an absolute mess, but <laughs> things never change, do they? But welcome, Chris. How you doing, buddy? Uh, doing well. Yeah, this is uh, not good news when Alan's the adult in the room. Hi, and welcome to the Wireless Podcast. I'm your host, Ryan Dodds, joined by Chris Reed and Alan Blake. Tonight, we should talk about stuff. Lots of stuff. Maybe it's not enough stuff. Maybe it's just one stuff. Who knows? I think that went well. I thought you were out with um, safety. So I'm, I'm going to have to do something on my mathematical editing skills. I think I was probably out of my depth, not out of sync. And oh, I see what you did. I see what you did. I, I, I think that was quite clever, actually. Um, I like that, Ryan. Well done, son. Very good. What can I say? What can I say? The dream team's back, Al. It is? So we haven't, we haven't got the other letdowns with time. us tonight. <laughs> oh, you mean um um oh forget what's their names again? Exactly. Um, uh Dayan and um Christian something. Ah, oh, you know, I don't know. Let's not talk about them. We don't know who they are. So but anyway, we've got some we got a new stalwart, haven't we? We got a guy who's been on the show many times before as a guest, but now part of the team. Welcome, Chris. Well, to me, he's a new guy. Yeah, I've been here a bit. It's good to be here. Yeah. It's always good to be here. Well, we actually recorded an episode with Chris and Raymond Hendricks last week, um, but I, I messed the recording up and I messed the edit up. Oh, and really? it, it's not being published. <clears throat> oh, and also, Chris, how do you feel about that? When I recorded it, that was a no, good show. It it was, you, you but when I recorded scenario, it, right? nobody you gave got me an Emmy for that. No, nobody gave me any of the audio files, so we were kind of just starting blind. It was it was pretty awful. So maybe it's just a good re- a good uh, a good one not to have published. But that'll go in the in the bank where we've published. Well, we've recorded at least fifty and not published them. Yeah, there are a lot of them. So, yeah, so basically, Chris, what tends to happen is you're going to come away from some of these recordings and go, wow, that was the best, best material I've ever done and realise that actually probably won't ever see the day, light of day because someone's <laughs> popped up somewhere along the line. Sorry, buddy, that's that's the podcast. <laughs> it's not professional. It's not polished. No, it is what it All is. All the ones that never get published are the best episodes. So I guess I'm landlord, right? Absolutely. You are? You're the landlord then? You can take the sure. reins. Alan, what are you drinking? Oh, didn't think you would ask. Um, so I'm I didn't last week, actually. That, I, uh, that was one thing I didn't ask last week is what people were drinking. Oh, really? Oh, you're a shit landlord then, aren't you? <laughs> <laughs> I actually bought myself some... Two beers I've not had before. One of them is called Heineken Silver. Saw nice. it, thought I'll try that. And it's just basically a lighter ale. And the other one I bought was a kind of Estrella stroke San Miguel stroke, some of the Spanish uh, lager called Madrid. Oh, Something like that. It's basically you bastard. Madrid without the D on the end of it, right? And uh, it's it's. I don't know. It's not. It's not good. I'm not a fan of it. It's very gassy. Um. So that, that's what I've been drinking for a few hours now. So that's, I'm a few uh, beers in. 
that's a, that's a bit of a letdown, mate, because that's exactly what I'm drinking, Mudry. Are you? Yeah. It it's all right. It's, no, it, it's all right. It's better on tap. I don't like it out of bottles or cans. It's better on tap. Mm-hmm. Always better on tap. Always. Chris, what you got, fella? Uh, I have Proclamation Ale Companies. It feels like we only go backwards. It's a double IPA. Um, so a double? I, a double. Yeah. And Wait, with what, a what, what, gorgeous label. The fuck's a double IPA? Is it like IPA never... plus a bit of it, bit of extra? Uh, yeah. So they're uh, double IPAs. They, they're typically higher tests. So this one's eight uh, percent. It's very American, isn't it? American's very extra. Oh, yeah. I we go. We go big. Now. So basically, it's strong. Lager. So it's basically like a it's a it's a tenant super. Oh God, tenant super strength. <laughs> basically, right? It is. It's a tenant super. Yeah. Uh, is that that a, a beer from your neck of the woods? No, it's from Scotland, and that's why none of them can speak properly, or you can understand them because they've all been drinking ten and super strength all day. Or, or um, what was the other one? Super brew. Super brew. Special brew. Sorry, special brew. Special brew, not super brew. What am I talking about? <laughs> special brew. Do you remember special brew? So basically, well, the in the UK is basically yeah, those that are on the down and outs pretty much drink. You know, the people who are homeless and. Uh, or, or not have much, they are the ones that drink 8%. So it's a kind of a bit of a reputation, strong lagers in the UK, as being something that's not a social drink. So, Chris, what are you doing, man? You're homeless. <laughs> You're a deadbeat. We just, we just have a different culture over here. You goddamn so... junkie. <laughs> um, these, so we've, we've, got a, we've got a great like craft beer um, um, uh, group around us and and the double ipas they tend to uh tend to be their um their premier stuff so uh they're all really tasty and if you grab a pack of it and don't realize it's a double ipa that you grab one or two in the afternoon and then quickly realize that uh that uh, you need a nap i love i love the fact that you've called it the double ipa i mean it's like what, what, what to me instantly like what the hell is a double ipa and i'm thinking that makes no sense to me but it's just because it's like double strength it's stronger i'm I, it's the american way right just just double it man just double it double ipa yay that's the word marketing more at it it'll be fine exactly so and now i know when i go to america next what's a double ipa I, I know what one of them is it's strong fucking beer mate that's what that is i'm, I'm there <laughs> but the good news is they're tasty so Nice, nice. That's what you want. You want you want good tasty beer. Well, I guess in true fashion tonight, boys, we haven't really prepared much. Um, yeah, we have. Have we? Well, we we kind of went through the script before we pressed record, and we quickly read the articles that we were going to talk about. So we were prepared. Oh, that that was all oh, right. Okay, right. I thought we just we did that's, that's, that's We did a dress rehearsal, and it went terrible. So we're just, just going like the intro, <laughs> just like the intro. <laughs> yeah, but yeah. What, I guess what, what are we going to talk about then? Uh, well, what we said we were going to talk about was the lapses hack. I know it's been plastered about the news. Uh, it's been an evolving uh, situation over the last uh, last couple of weeks. Uh, the lapses data extortion group. Um, what what is the hack then? Because I I haven't been. Um, I've been too busy doing other things, you know. Well, I'm tired me just drinking <sighs> beer and catching the sun and uh, driving fast cars and, uh, you know, 
So what was a lapsus hack? Can you explain that to me? Well, one of the one of the good things, I guess, for once, it's not a ransomware, as we've been seeing quite a lot in the news. Uh, it's more more sort of data breach. Uh, so lapsus are a collection of hackers of various different ages and means, I guess. Uh, and I guess um, the sort of the biggest ones have done is Microsoft and Okta. Um, they have tried to dump the source code from uh, Microsoft. I don't know which one was it for. Was it with Windows or Office? The source code. So, if I remember correctly, it was it was a portion of of Windows, and that's one that I don't know um, from a single breach whether you'd ever get the whole source code for Windows. There's just a lot of different teams and a lot of different yeah, you know, a lot of different groups working on that. But it was a, it was a subset of of Windows. Um, yeah. So from what I, from what I gathered, they started downloading it, and they'd obviously spent hours and hours hacking and getting all of this data out of Microsoft. Microsoft discovered it and stopped it. And they didn't realize because it fell asleep. Well, that makes sense because the uh, the age range of the the lapses group was fourteen to twenty one. Yeah. Um, it, so this is not a uh, not a seasoned group, although I mean certainly some uh, high name targets and uh, and successes between between Okta and Microsoft. Well, I think the Okta one is the one to me. I mean, I guess. The, the Microsoft one, I think they got in through maybe some insiders or some social engineering. I think that's it hasn't really been confirmed yet, or that I know of, of how they they got into Microsoft. But the Okta one for me is probably the more interesting. Um, so Okta is a single sign-on company, and you it's identity management. So. So one way of synchronizing all of your company's logon data and being able to do single sign-on with different af- applications that are cloud-based and things. Um, yeah, Okta is the key to the ki- the keys to the kingdom. If you well, can, if this you is can where get it gets a full and complete breach of that. So they 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 are an extension of you of, of your business. You use Okta, they are you. That is that is it basically, and. It's interesting because they were breached by one of their third-party contractors. So this has been something I've thought about for a while in different businesses that I've worked for when outsourcing or going with third parties is you, you do a lot of rigorous checks. You check to make sure that they are compliant, the company that you're working with, that is, with all of their the latest security regulations up to date with the latest certifications. And you do your rigorous checks, right? What people don't do is they don't ask, okay, who are your third parties? Who do you work with? And what are their certifications? Because the issue here has come from that Okta used an outsourced customer service center. Uh, I believe, was it Teleperformance? No, Cytel. Cytel is who they used. Uh, and basically, Cytel were given the keys to Okta because they did all of the customer services. Okta have given the keys to you. So the, the, it, it's it's a big chain here. But the, the, the downfall or the weakest link in the chain is Cytel. And from what I gather, it was a expired SSL certificate. 
on one of the websites, and that's how they got in. Although that hasn't been fully confirmed yet. Yeah, I had seen a different article on the that one that 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 one and i'm gonna try to find the link for it but uh had said that it was a rat that was on the the third party vendor's laptop so it was just basically a screen share and they had direct access to the the machine yeah um so i've heard both i've not had them confirmed but one of the major issues is that cytel went no no there's no evidence that this ever came from us and they say well where's their evidence in Oh, because we haven't got any evidence because our logs don't go far enough back for us to be able to prove that it was us. I mean, that is that is terrible. Um, so I believe sort of 300, they say 300 companies were affected uh, by this data breach, um, but it's not, it's, it's, it's nowhere near right. And I, I certainly think it's it's a lot higher than it should be. Yes. So specifically the breach of Okta, Okta had released a, a press statement that, that were saying that that if any of this was impacted, it only would have been impacted, uh, it only would have impacted 300 of our customers total. And they've reached out to those those customers. Yeah. So oh. there's a... That's okay then. <laughs> yeah. So the, I guess the difference is, um, some of these other, um, other groups have used the dark web to publish their illicit gains and stuff like that. Lapsus have been doing this all via a subscription Telegram channel, which is quite interesting. Um, they've even been dumping all of the files there too. <coughs> are, you so, in tele- are you in that Telegram group then, are you? I don't know what you're talking about. I'm, I'm just asking, are you in that Telegram group? That, no. Are you subscribed? Are you one of the 45,000 subscribers that they claim to have? No. What's your what's your name? Is it R Dodza? No, it's like um or... it's Alan Blake. Is it? Yeah. <laughs> no one will know who you are. So okay. Are you you're completely anonymous then? And uh you 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 you're sound, you're sorted. I think what's interesting is that they so what what Chris said is that it was a uh, and what it, it kind of rings true really. He said it was a remote access Trojan where it was like a, a screen share. Is that they put uh, put a, a job advert on online that are ask, that were asking for insiders at different companies. So they were asking for telecommunication companies, um, customer service companies, server hosting centers. So we've got Telefonica, Microsoft, Apple, IBM, and they were offering $20,000 a week for you to give them access to a VPN, a VDI, or if you could just do a a screen share with them and allow them into their network. So anybody could have gained $20,000 a week just by simply doing a remote session onto a PC. Now the question is like if you had decided to move forward with that and, and you were a um, an employee of that company, would you have lasted the week? Would, would you, you get in the week two? But would well, you have cared if you were getting paid? I'd imagine the people that money. Yeah, but I'd imagine the people that work at these teleperformance centers, these call centers, um, 
don't get paid a lot of money. I'd imagine their minimum wage help first line support customer service agents. I, yeah, but that makes that that makes the twenty thousand dollars a week even more attractive because exactly. they they can jump. I mean, if they get caught and prosecuted, they certainly can't jump to an equivalent job. Um, but uh, if if you're not paid well, and someone comes along and says, "Hey, here's twenty thousand dollars. Just give me a screen share," um, that's a pretty attractive um, uh, a pretty attractive bait for you. But there's there's a there's another part of this. Because if you think about it, some of these companies have kept stum about if they've been breached or not for obvious reasons. So I guess for the employee that's took the $20,000 a week, they're not going to be branded in the media as the person who let this, let this group into the network, right? Because then they would know who had been hacked or what company had been hacked. So they've probably just been, you know, led away from their desk kicked out the building, told never to come back and never to speak of it ever again. They took their $20,000 and probably went and got another job somewhere else. It depends, though, if they've been charged with any criminal activity, because if they have, then it would become... Um, but it would have to be public then, domain. wouldn't it? It would have to be public knowledge then. But, but it would be, but then it means that you've got a kind of, um, I, I guess, an investigative journalist who will connect the dots and actually go, right, if this person's on a charge of X and they read through the 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 notes i guess they'd sit there and say well it must be related to this case because it'll come out in the wash mm -hmm. and again it all depends on whether or not it's newsworthy right but um one of the things i kind of would make is to this as well it's like um it's like uh, how often do you hear people being robbed you know and they've got security and someone kind of like goes up to the front gate and goes points a gun at their head and they say for 12 dollars an hour yeah you crack on and go and rob all these rich people's properties because it's not worth my life for $12 an hour. No. It's like if you're going to pay people who have got access to certain systems inadvertently, indirectly, which is effectively what the screen sharing is that I'm kind of interpreting, that that is a vulnerability that means that the, the blame lies squarely on the company who put those types of employees, those low-paid, low-incentivized employees at risk to provide... <laughs> a vulnerability to those who would more than likely exploit it for, for cash. And if it were me, I could sit there and play a dumb and go, well, I was trying to help him and I'd inadvertently expose myself. How was I to know? Because the amount of type of training that, that person is going to have, it's probably going to be minimal to a degree, but they may be given basic security training, but would it be enough to cover what it is that is being exploited in terms of a screen share? You're absolutely right. Dumb enough. You, you, you are absolutely right there. But the I know question I'm is, right, but thank you for going on record and telling everybody that. By the way, the, 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 the he's problem... going to cut out that clip and oh, absolutely. save it as his, I'm his ringtone. This. I'm editing right, this right, now. Right. <laughs> <laughs> but the, the problem you've got is Alan's right. Is that these people uh, are low down Keeps on it. low down on the ladder? Alan's what? Alan's what? Alan's what? <laughs> how how have these companies? So, what, the attack surface, right? So Okta. Is a, it's a security company as well, to, to a certain extent, right? Why have they not thought, actually, we've yeah, opened no, up our not... entire network, our entire corporate customer database here to an external party, and if there was a breach, so where's their security risk assessment here to say, if there was a breach from this place, 
they would have the keys to the kingdom. That yeah, wasn't so done. Okta's an identity provider, and if they don't see themselves as a security company, that's that's a whole problem. But but well, this separate is from that, we yeah, we don't know what kind of access that they actually had, whether it was actual key data that was encrypted. Um, one would hope that it wouldn't be unencrypted, um, or whether it was just like a customer service portal that allows for things like account change, ad moves, um, cancellations. And if that if that's what they got access to, um, then it's relatively easy to clean up. Um, so it, it's really a lot of these, these breaches from lapses, we don't have enough information on what was actually breached and what they did gain access to, that a lot of those investigations are either ongoing or those just were just the, internal. the first part of the attack, because one of the things that they were asking for were access to telcos, right? Yeah. Telefonica, your AT&T, T-Mobile, um, companies like that because of what they've then done is to bypass mfa your multi-factor authentication they've then started sim swapping so what they've done is they've been able to target maybe certain employees who have certain access level rights the ones that they actually want and they've been able to sim swap to be able to change the password to do a password reset on an mfa or to trick the user to do so to then get them into the network with their MFA. What's, what is, you call it an NFA? MFA. MFA, which is, yeah. I well, kind of refer to it as 2FA. So what's, I guess M being the multi. So yeah. that is, that's a new, that's something I've not heard of. So explain that to me, your interpretation of that. Well, it's just the same effectively, but instead of it being just two factor, you can have multi. So, um, like at the same time. Yeah, so um, what it might do is it so, might so, ask you for as, your... Huh? I was going to say, so you're talking about rather than just being two-factor two authentication means what? Something you know and something two. you have. Two things. Right, okay. Whereas it could be, say, for example, I use Google Auth or Authy apps, yeah, which gives me a one-time password. Yeah, so it's basically two or more. That is the multi-factor. So in, in this case, it's uh, use your... Google off plus use your, say, the number that gets sent to your text to your phone number, a one-time password code, or even something that gets sent to your email. So you could use three different methods to send a one-time password. Not, is that what that was? Is that what we're talking about? Of, here in terms of yeah. Multi? So the multi-factor, the, the, the example I would give would be when you use like the Microsoft Authenticator app or something like that. So yeah, the first step is you enter your username and password on a website. Next thing, it pops up on your phone through the app, whichever one you use, and it says, right, enter the pin code on the screen. So you enter the pin code on the screen, and then you may then verify that with a fingerprint or face ID on your phone. So those are the three things. So you've got a password, one-time token, plus biometric verification. Yeah, but you're not, your, your biometric verification though, isn't you accessing the system. That's just you accessing something that's going to give you a one-time password as well, right? No, nope. Because I use my face ID. Hang on. I use my face ID for to access my authentication app. I My phone opens up and then I run the app and then I get the one-time password. So mm. how would I then use my biometric information to gain direct access to the platform on which I want to gain access to? Because effectively I'm using what I would consider a third party to secure or authenticate the biometric or security authentication that 
is being processed. Right. I get what Am you I mean. Correct here. I think it's just a different way of Am looking. All right, at it. again, Ryan. No, not really. Yes and no. I yeah. So, no, so right in, in that scenario, when when you're using things like LastPass or you're using Google Authenticator, that that they are using Face ID to to verify you, you your you've trusted that for thirty days or so, and then they're using Face ID to verify you within that thirty days to be able to access the app. In the lapsus breach, and and um, in this scenario, it wasn't the breach. It was they had posted on the forum to ask for. Um, for options to do swim, SIM swaps, uh, they're looking to target text-based or phone-based two-factor authentication, where you're doing um, you're doing your initial. You've got your your username and password um, that you're putting in, and then there's a text-based um, that that sends a code uh, via SMS to your phone, which you're then putting that code into that that system. When you're using things like LastPass or um, another multi-factor auth um, like Google auth that that would not be vulnerable to the requests that they're making. So that's an extra set of security that wouldn't be vulnerable to that SIM swap. You should never use a SIM swap ever in any, anybody listening to this right now that has, uh, sorry, you should never use a SIM swap. What the hell am I saying? Never ever use SIM authentication as part of your two-factor or multi-factor. You mean SMS? If anyone is, uh, all right, yeah, SMS authentication, yeah. So they use a SIM. Anyone that's doing that right now, sorry, I'm a few beers in. Um, don't do it. Don't do it. Use an app. Use something that cannot be intercepted effectively because, unfortunately, it's rife, especially in the industry that I'm now submerged in. It's rife all the time. We hear about it all the time, people being hacked, and you think, how the hell were they hacked? And it's because there was someone employed in a telco who basically intercepted the one-time password through the SMS message and relayed it to someone who then gained access. Because what they end up doing is they use it the one time to gain access and then they disable it. And then they try and then obviously redirect that uh, one-time authentication or two-factor authentication to something that they were in fully control of completely locking you out, right? Um, there are some there are some strategies in play that sort of like delay things so that it takes you something like 24, 40 hours to reset your one-time or your two-factor authentication right and they alert you of the fact that your authentication has been reset blah 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 so you, but sometimes depending on how lax the security is by the system or the platform you're accessing by the sounds of it microsoft if they're only protected information that might be just privy to emails or other kind of stuff they might not have these time constraints on it where you know, when you reset one-time passwords or you reset two-factor authentication, it's not immediate. Sometimes it can be immediate. Sometimes it can be like 24, 48 hours before you're even allowed to withdraw anything from that platform that you're trying to access for the sake of, you know, being making sure that it's it's authorized by the right person. It may be that Microsoft and whoever you just mentioned earlier were like, well, this, this information is not important. We'll allow that two-factor authentication reset to occur instantly. That's what I'm thinking. Possibility. Don't know if you agree with me. Probably do, don't you? Again, Ryan, you always agree. With me. I'm right. <laughs> I, yeah, I mean, ul ul ultimately, this was just uh, sort of a forum poster on the Telegram that they were looking for employees to help them and 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 do those account changes to allow them access to that two-factor auth um, with with SMS. Mm. They should they, they they should outlaw it. They they should literally just turn off every security platform. Should literally turn around and remove two-factor authentication now from the ability of it being a secure platform because it clearly isn't this is a, this is an example of it isn't because you can socially engineer someone 
to be bribed to give up, you know, potentially their job for a one-off massive payment, 20 grand might be way more than what they're getting on an annual salary, for example, especially if you're in areas like India and Philippines where they're earning low revenue anyway, right? $20,000 is a huge amount of money, which they'll be like, yeah, of course, I'll do it for as long as I can. Knowing full well, it's like a year's salary. What do I care? Well, th this is sort of common across this is that we're, I mean, yeah, the SMS isn't a great way to do two-factor authentication, but the, the vulnerability in SMS isn't, isn't the SMS component of that. It's nope. the person component of that. And that the, the people are always the weakest link in your, in your security chain, um, whether you're at the, whether you're at the provider or whether you're at the customer side. Well, to be honest, yeah. this has all been an evolution, really. So you have to think, like, where are they getting the money? $20,000 a week for employees, and they're asking for multi-employees. So you've got this... Coming out of the couch. <laughs> yeah. So they've, they've started off by selling zero days, buying and selling zero days for applications and making money that way. Um. So that's how they've been able to get their their war chest effectively. Um, so this is where they they've started off being able to what? I'll tell you how they do it. Here's the thing, right? I say to you, Ryan, you work for a company. What, what, let's yeah. work for a telco company in America, right? A really, really, a really, really bad one. Who do you work for again, Chris? <laughs> <laughs> See what I did there? Let's say it's... um. <laughs> uh, a really, really rubbish one called Sprint, right? Sprint, you don't work for them, do you, Chris? I do not. Good. They're rubbish. Anyway, um, so let's say you work for Sprint, Ryan, okay? Mm. And I say it to you, I'm, I'm, I'm lapsus, right? I'm saying $20,000. Give me those SIM cards because I want them. What's going to happen is I'm going to say to you for $20,000, I'm only going to pay you based upon what I can get out of that system. I don't think I would literally pay you anything. I'd let you take the risk and go, oh, sorry, mate. We didn't win anything or we didn't get anything out of those SIM swaps that we did. They were, I don't know, there was nothing in those accounts or they didn't really lead anywhere to anything worth putting up the ransom. The idea, I think, is that they use it to just kind of hook you in, like dangle the carrot so people get enticed by the number. I don't I'm think not, there's really any money in it. I don't think so. I, don't I, think, think, so. There's, I think there's honor amongst these here, right? So if they do that, right, they're only they're only going to do that once. And then people are going to say, you know what, don't don't trust these dickheads. Like they said they were going to give us 20 grand. I gave them two SIM cards and then they never gave us the money. So nobody would then trust them again. I think I think they genuinely paid people 20 grand. And, and that's also why when you when you pay to get the keys for ransomware, that you actually get the keys because if if they have the, the they have dedicated making... customer service departments sitting there manning the phones and email addresses of and mailboxes of these uh, ransomware uh, tools. And they are, you know, once you pay the Bitcoin, once you paid how much you, you owe, we will give you the keys. Um, because the minute that they don't is the minute that people just think, you know what, it doesn't matter if we pay because we're not going to get the keys. Yeah, we, we don't have the data right now. Um, if they're not going to be giving us the keys, there's no sense in giving them the money and still not have the data. Correct. So there have to be, there is honor amongst it. There's a code here. And I think this is exactly the same way. I don't think for for one minute that they basically turn around and say, right, um, we're not, we're not going to do this. We're not going to give you the money because then it gets out and people don't then do it.
Well, so listen, listen to what you just said. You're literally going to be in a forum and someone's going to come in and go, okay, these guys didn't pay me. Why, what did you do? Well, I did what they asked me to do. Who are you? I'm not going to tell you who I am. Why not? Well, because I'm, I'm going to expose myself and I could get arrested. Would you, so, so how do I know that you're telling the truth? Yeah, but you've exposed well, yourself just, and got arrested before though, haven't you? I'll be honest with you. <laughs> at that particular time in the evening, she undressed me first and then the door opened into the hotel lobby and I had nowhere else to go. That's how it was, okay? And I've already explained... Oh, we're not talking about that, are we? Sorry. The point I'm trying to make here, gentlemen, is that <laughs> people who claim... Just to counter your point here, Ryan, which is why I say they might not really pay and they won't care because no one's going to sit there and go, I did what they asked me to do and they didn't pay me. Here's my name. My name is Ryan Dodds. I'm the guy that did this. You're just going to shoot yourself in the foot. The, and the, you're they don't do it that way. And you're no one else. <clears throat> well, how do they do it then? Because, then no, because they're going to turn around. They, they, live, they live by screen names. They're not going to go and give them their full they're real identity. Honest. They're going to say, I'm Alan Bumfund 21. And these people haven't paid me for the job that I've done for them. Um, you guys gonna, shouldn't listen I'm to I'm going to sit there and say, you're full of shit. You're talking shit. You're, who am I supposed to believe you? Because you're someone who's behind a keyboard, behind a, an avatar, behind a, a made-up name. In a this is how group. it works. Yeah, but it still, it still comes down to reputation. Is that, it does. Is that if, if one person says it, it's one thing. Throw enough if, mud, it sticks. Yeah. If, this if is right 60 everywhere. people say. This is fud. Well, I don't even know that even rings true. Because I think that sometimes you can sit there and say it's just a smear campaign. And because this is rife in the, again, the industry that I'm alluding to, where I'm kind of submerged in, it happens all the time. And eventually it, the noise just dies down. What I'm, what I'm, I've just been a bit facetious here and playing devil's advocate to the point that these guys, I don't think they'll even pay anybody who genuinely did give them a sin swap unless there was a gold mine at the end of it for them. And secondly, why would they anyway? They would just pocket the money and they wouldn't care about the reputation. They could just rebrand and come back and call themselves Wapsis or something like that. But the point I'm trying to make is that I, I would challenge the the legitimacy of them actually being paying these sim swap people. I, I just don't think that they would, personally. I think they would I, just try and scam them yeah, as well. I, I think it really depends on how targeted those, those are. Are they saying, I need you to swap this specific number or are they just, I need you to swap six six cards um is that if they're if they have the information and they're targeting specific numbers that there's there's gold at the end of that rainbow yeah i think it's specific numbers i don't think you just want random sims because then hey i gave you random sims that i knew weren't even real or legit and um you owe me twenty thousand dollars it's not going to work is it because no one's going to no no thief is going to give you money or reward you if there's they've got no reward for themselves simple as that that's fact number one and number two they've got you over a barrel i think because they know that you're going to do something illegal therefore they don't have to give you that money i think that's double-edged sword with it all this anonymous speech crap doesn't exist anymore and i think that's because of the fact that they're they're anonymous effectively so you don't know who i am and i don't know who you are but I want you to do something for me in return. I'm going to pretend or I'm going to dangle a carrot, golden carrot. You're going to go for it. And there might not be a golden carrot, but you've got to take that risk twice. So um, the lapses guys are back from a short break. And <laughs> apparently they had a few days off for vacation. And they've targeted somebody else. It's now Globant. Globant? Globant? 
Uh, but they're about to publish all of their admin username and passwords. I mean, to be honest, it there was an article that said that City of London police arrested seven people aged from 17 to 24, sorry, 14 to 24, um, who were meant to be involved with this lapses group. So it's clear that there's obviously more than just seven of them, right? What, what I found interesting is, so we, we've, we've spoke, they've got quite a big war chest of, of cash to be able to spread around, whether Alan agrees with this or not. They've got quite a big war chest, right? And to be honest, there's probably a load of hacks that they've done that haven't made public and they've just sold the data to someone. You know, the Russians might have bought the data off them. The Chinese might have bought the data off them to be able to gain access to said companies, right? So they've, they've got a big war chest, but supposedly one of the people that was arrested has a net worth of 300 bitcoins, which is what, 14 million-ish? Depending on the day. Depending on the day. I mean, it could be 14 million, it could be 14 pence, depending on what time of the day. You know, it could be anything. But mm-hmm. it... It, it's an interesting one because I, I always wonder how do they how do they actually tie the wallet? So these are these are I'm not going to say hardened criminals, hardened cyber criminals, shall we say? Right? They're not daft. They're not they're not going to publish their wallet for everyone to see, so they can see what their what their ID is, and so it can be traced. So how have they been able to determine this? And I guess. How is it easy for them to hide all of this cash? I mean, if anyone's used to hiding cash, it's you, Al, right? So how how would they do it? How have they been caught? Well, I, I doubt they have been caught because it's not cash, just to kind of pick you up on that. They, they will be had when they try to cash it out. Here's the thing is with cryptocurrency, right? Because this is what I'm in big time at the minute. You have to do KYC in order to off-ramp your cryptocurrency. Right. Okay? I'm an absolute newbie. To... Start again. You have to yeah. what? <laughs> off-ramp the two IC. <laughs> KYC stands for know your customer. So anybody that deals with fiat money, which is basically the term used for currency, which is dollars, pounds, anything that is deemed currency that you exchange for to go on holiday and pay for goods and services. Okay. Traditional There's... currency whatever it is yeah traditional currency so any institution any financial house or any bank or whatever that deals with cash currency has to abide by uh financial regulations that says that you must conform to these terms and conditions and compliance rules and one of them being is kyc which basically means know your customers so effectively you have to ask the person who's going to give you money or you're going to give that money to they have to provide verification and id to prove that they are who they are Okay. Uh, so that's why Coinbase ask you for like your fucking your yeah. blood, your passport, right. and like fucking everything else. Yeah, yeah. And that's correct. So, yes. so same thing with normal transactions, like in the U.S., that there's there's uh, money laundering laws that say over a certain dollar amount there has to be um, it has to be um, verified. Um, 
And yep. so same thing for tax purposes is that if you're using Venmo and you're moving money into your actual bank account or out of your actual bank account, you need to verify that you're that person. Mm. Well, not just that, but you also need to verify where the funds have come from for, for what they call AML, which is anti-money laundering, right? Which basically says, um, Chris, you've just uh, deposited $50,000. Where'd you get that from, mate? Because you only earn 35 grand a year from Sprint. You know, what are you doing, dude? How many how many SIM swaps have you done, eh, for this guy? You know what I mean? That could Because that's exactly the example we can kind of highlight to say all of a sudden you've got $50,000 deposited in your account. Where did it come from? You might say, oh, I've got a rich uncle or I've won the lottery or, or whatever you might say. But the problem is, is that you have to prove where that came from. If the financial house hadn't got in place the information or the processes to obtain that information from you, then they would never be allowed to basically service all their millions of customers that they got. And they're done that. That's it. That's their business over. They would be. So going back to what you originally asked about how they're able to kind of like hide themselves and be pseudo anonymous, cryptocurrency does offer that. But if you want to exchange for real money, you can't go through any type of, um, I guess, typical exchange that offers off ramps because you're going to expose yourself because on the blockchain, everything is traced. So if that Bitcoin wallet, this guy that lapses claims to have all of these 300 BTC in, first off, you need to know what that wallet ID is, the public address. Okay. If you don't know what that is, then he's just blagging or he's pretending and he can do what the hell he wants. And he could be, you know, the prime minister of England, for God's sake, doing this kind of hacking you have got no idea who this person is but if you do know that wallet it can get blacklisted and people can follow all the transactions that basically go from every interaction that wallet has with other wallets okay to actually move that bitcoin even when you go into exchanges that are centralized or decentralized it doesn't matter there's always going to be an audit trail the only other time these guys can actually get that money into a bank and actually use it for buying goods and services and living in the real world would be if they went what they call otc over the counter and if they actually said look how about i send you Bitcoin to this wallet, which then you own because you've got the private key. In exchange, you send me cash in a brown paper envelope in the post, registered, whatever it is. That's how it works. That's how you can kind of do the illicit type of trading with cryptocurrency where there's no paper trail. It effectively says, Chris, give me a BTC wallet. I'm going to send you 300 Bitcoin. In exchange, you send me 14 million in cash. Can you do that? No problem. I've got 50 million. No one's going to really give a shit about 14 million going missing. I'll just take it out and I'll just send it to you, Alan, in cash. And I've got all that cash. And then I can do with that cash as I see fit. That's how it would work. A really, really crass example of high-level summary. So <laughs> there were, what I gather, like, they're, they're, they haven't exactly hang on, found. Hang on, hang on. Chris, Chris is talking, Ryan. Uh, so the I I know they they're not currently accepting right now, but but Tesla you could buy a Tesla with Bitcoin. Would that still be? Would you still have to do that same verification if you were buying a Tesla with Bitcoin? One hundred percent, I think so. Because effectively, I mean, technically you don't have to, but I do believe that it would be in the best interests of Tesla and Elon Musk to know who that person is that has bought that Tesla with that currency, I think they would, they don't have to because crypto was completely unregulated and technically it could definitely happen, but I still feel it would be in Tesla's best interest because 
what happens is when they get audited to say, well, where's all this money come from, Elon? Where's all come from Bitcoin purchases? Well, who did they who, who purchased these? How do I know it just wasn't you? How do I know it wasn't fraudulent terrorism buying Teslas and putting bombs in them? It, an extreme example, but that's how they world will be thinking right now. Oh, I think they open themselves up to a whole lot of issues that I don't think someone like Elon would want. But, so they're gonna they have will to, accept Bitcoin, gonna but you're going to have to verify sort of who identification. You are. Because they, you can't just say, right, well, here's, I don't know, 50, 50 bitcoins to buy me a Tesla, right? So you transfer that so and they'll Tesla? say, he's, he's your Tesla, mate. Um, uh, Alan Bumfum so 21, he's, he's, your, he's, your, he's your Tesla. Where are you going to pick it up? And have you got any ID to collect it? There, ha- there has to be a name and a way to collect this car. So, so the, way, the way it happens is easy, simple as that. So basically... You register with an account with Tesla, right? You you go through KYC. So effectively says you're in our system. We know who you are. If you want to interact with us with any type of currency that you want, doesn't matter whether it's fiat or dollars or, or Bitcoin, it's not a problem. We know who you are. You can pay us in any currency you deem fit. So, so Tesla basically saying, if you want to send us Bitcoin, not a problem. Here's our Bitcoin wallet. You send the funds into this Bitcoin wallet. Simple as that. But Because we know that that Bitcoin wallet is allocated to you. And this account so we verified you therefore the only person who can send any bitcoin into this particular wallet is going to be you that's how we know we've got you so that's how the tesla would get around this kind of system which is why i say they wouldn't just allow uh, anyone to just send them a bitcoin payment and say deliver this tesla to this address and i'll pick it up later it's a bit like a p.o box right you don't say send it to a car park and i'll and i'll just meet the guy there or send it to a fake address that's how it works they will know who you are when you're making a payment in any type of currency because they have to. Mm. Does that make sense? It does. So from what I gather, it wasn't that, sorry, I'll, I'll have to correct the record. It wasn't that they found his Bitcoin wallet. He was outed. So he fell out with some fellow hackers. They've published his name, address, and social media pictures, as well as his Bitcoin wallet ID. Then they've been able to determine the uh, close to $14 million in Bitcoin. That's how they've been able to determine it. Whether they can prove that that actually belongs to him is a different matter. Yeah, so there was the, yeah, there was the rest of the, what, seven individuals um, or so. But the, that's all at this point. There's an arrest. There's no prosecution that's happened yet so it's all alleged they haven't proven their case yet no so we'll we'll see how that goes along and how they how they do end up trying to prove that case whether that's bitcoin related um or whether that's uh um, just some some following of these hacks that have that have been seen um so uh security company you unit 221b had said that they had been keeping an eye on on these individuals for quite a while and had seen multiple hacks. So that that it might just be good old fashioned investigation that that tracked them down. Well, I find it interesting that obviously seven people between the ages of sixteen and twenty one, obviously arrested in this, all based in central London. Yeah, and one of the one of the hackers, his his dad, was interviewed by the BBC. And he was, and he basically said he, he never had any clue about this. He never, his son obviously never talked about hacking, which he's not going to, right? He's not going to say, oh, dad, I just, just fucking hacked Microsoft and I've got $40 million worth of Bitcoin. You know, you're not going to tell your dad. Uh, and his, 
and his thoughts were he was just very good at computers and spent a lot of time playing games. And his way around it is we're going to try and stop him from going on computers. That's 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 what his that's what his parents are going to do. Stop him from going on computers. I think these guys are very are going to have a very long and illustrious career because mm-hmm. I don't believe that people with those types of skill set get sent to prison. I think they get. I think it's presented that they are and that they're off the grid. But well but actually, I... I think they're actually employed to utilize their skill sets because people like Microsoft and everyone else will sit there and go, I want these guys to break into more of my systems, but in a um, nice way. way. Yeah, you, it's ethical hacking. I... That's what they become. Yeah, they try they're... and say to them, look. Yeah, they're but... not getting $14 million um, out of that, but I mean they can make some good money on a red team and just poke and play all, all day long. And and I think at that age, when you're, when you're 16 to 21 and uh, you can make some good money and, and just play, play around within internal systems. Uh, yeah. I remember that, doing that, a lot that's of a great poke place and play to when I was 16. <laughs> but you would though, wouldn't you? That, that, that's the incentive. This is why I think that kudos to these guys for doing what they're doing, right? Okay. They, the malicious it, it's all about malicious intent when it comes to hacking i think at the end of the day i think you can be inquisitive and you can find vulnerabilities and say hey i found a vulnerability you need to fix this hole if someone chooses not to fix the hole because they're too lazy or they don't want to pay the pay, pay the expense to fix it you think to yourself right i'm going to teach these buggers a lesson so what i'm going to do is i'm going to exploit it but again it's like you're not doing it for malicious intent for your own personal gain by stealing or anything like that. What you're doing is you're trying to sort of like say, look, I need to protect other people that are using your system because you've got a hole for someone who is a malicious attacker that might have the skill set I've got that actually might use it for malicious activity by selling yeah, personal but that's, information. This isn't this isn't ethical ethical hacking. That that uh, this is grabbing uh, internal data and posting it online, and that is not ethical hacking. Ethical hacking is is what they would be doing if they had reached out or hired on on a red team or said, hey, I found this directly to the these customers. So I found this data. You need to fix it. Um, that Do you actually know that though? Do you actually know that for a fact that that's what they might, they may or may not have done? And here we got is a article that's spinning it. These are bad boys, and they use cryptocurrency to kind of navigate the wild, wild west of, you know, hiding their remuneration and their rewards and that kind of stuff like spinning it as a big massive article to say actually these guys actually might have said they reached out to microsoft and say hey we found an exploit okay you're not going to listen to his watches we're going to demonstrate how we can exploit this and screw you because microsoft think that they're better than them go on go on then prove your worth yeah the the posting of the data is the problem in that scenario is that is that if this was that was ethical hacking that that we would have seen a, a post on krebs on security about what these guys found um and it would be outing the company and saying hey they reached out to them they didn't find anything here's a snippet of that data that's been parsed to make sure that that no one's at risk um and this is a problem and we'd see news stories about this but but no this is uh an open telegram channel a subscription telegram channel where actual customer data is being posted and that that's the problem to be honest, like go back to what you were saying about whether these kids will actually be sent to prison, right? They, they probably will come out with a job, right? I mean, it's been well well documented, you know, in the Darknet Diaries and podcasts and things like that. There's been lots of people who've been on there 
who have done some pretty pretty serious hacks in their time. They've done a little bit of jail time. They've come out, and they've you know there's somebody been waiting for them when they got out the gates and went, no, we've got we've got a job for you. But sometimes it goes like the other way, doesn't it? Sometimes it forces people to go further into criminality and to do a lot worse than what they were caught. I mean, you look at that guy, Junaid Hussein, the, the ISIS guy who was a part of Team Poison. So he did lots of different hacks. And, you know, rather than just like, he got caught rather than just going to prison and stuff like that. He basically went further into his hacking and became a big social media propagandist for ISIS. This is one I'm not okay. familiar with. Oh, really? Me. And where are, we, where are we going with this? I mean, no, because what I'm saying is you, you've got you've got one of different direction. No, you've got one of you, they can go one or two ways, can't they? Like you say, these people, they can go to prison, do a little bit of time, come out and get a job and, and do pretty well for themselves. Like you say, they're going to have a pretty long career at it. Or they're going to go further and further into the, the rabbit hole and become darker and worse and, and do a lot worse shit, basically. I was just giving you the example of that. By the way, I wish hmm? I was skilled enough to do hacking. I really do. I'd have a great time. What, you mean you can't do it via YouTube? I can socially engineer and exploit you, Ryan, as I do countless times where you hand over all your money to me and you don't realize, yes, I, I can probably do that. But I'd like to have... It's not just called crypto. Skill set. No, it's not crypto. He doesn't pay Ryan, so he's exploiting him already. <laughs> I never, never paid me a penny to do this. Exactly. It's, I mean, but I'd love to have had the skill set to, I guess, um, understand how code is written, programs are written, I'd never bothered. I just took platforms and hardware and just connected devices. I didn't really understand the kind of circuitry and the, the PCBs and the software, you know, a really basic level like BIOS or that kind of stuff, understanding how it's all kind of built in, how each bit communicates with each other and understand, you know, the code and structure to exploit it, to actually work out the vulnerabilities and have all of that basis and understanding to actually, you know, build on the next sort of like evolution of, of coding and, and software development as to where we're going with because because a lot of money in crypto so everyone's going to want to attack crypto and use crypto as a way of siphoning off anything that they've managed to glean right because that's the nature of the beast here and i think i just think that i wish i was clever enough and had that intellect of these guys don't get me wrong it's probably not a good kind of encouragement on the podcast to say to people that I want to be a hacker. I would never, ever be a hacker, but I'd love to have had the skill set to understand it a little bit, to understand vulnerabilities and codes and, and software. When you get a patch on your browser or you used to get the patches on Windows all the time, you think to yourself, what the fuck is that? What are they talking about? I've got no idea what the hell that actually is fixing. And then you kind of think, I'm going to have a look at this. And you get all of this scripting and everything else. You think to yourself, it's just like a foreign language. I've got no idea what the hell they're talking about. But there's a lot of people who just read it and just instantly get it. I admire those people, and I think that with these guys, malicious intent or not, there's a certain skill set that if you can kind of coach a criminal to sort themselves out, all right, they might serve time and they come back out and they're like, what's the word? Um, rehabilitated. Oh, Reformed. That's it, rehabilitated. Yeah, exactly. Reform, rehabilitation, and all that stuff. If you can get them in and use the skill set to, to do good, I think it's 
I think it's worthwhile doing. I'm just saying for me personally, I just wish I you know, hadn't spent time in prison to be rehabilitated to actually do good. I'm just saying. And I haven't really spent for? any time in prison, by the way. I'm what just, were we in prison for? <laughs> Is it true what was written on the bus stop? <laughs> <laughs> no, but you get my point. I'm going to start up. Yeah, I've had too many I understand. <laughs> I understand the desire to see a closed system and say, I want to figure out how they're doing that. And I want to get in into it and see what's happening and see how far I can go. Um, like that's, that's inherent in, in all of the, uh, all of the hackers that we know that, that are doing this and any of these companies that were breached sort of regardless of what the root of this, this breach was, whether it was social engineering, whether it was actually, um, uh, breaching an, an active system um, from the outside that that all of them, if their leadership has a good head on their shoulders, um, when these when these guys get out of whatever punishment they're going to be in, they should offer them a job because you to be want honest, those people no... on their side and you want those people poking at your own systems with guardrails in place. To, to be honest, there's no, in my opinion, there's not much difference between a hacker and an actual on the street criminal, right? You got it. You you got the hacker who basically targets a company that he wants to exploit. You know, he sees those closed gates and thinks, "I'm going to get in there and I'm going to see what they've got. And if I like what they've got, I'm I'm going to take it." Right? But they do that in terms of data. Yeah. The guy on the street, he's looking at the the, the bank or the the big warehouse with the big iron gates, and he's thinking. I want to get into there. The the process of doing so is exactly the same. The reconnaissance stage. They they stand and they look and they watch. And then they find, right, okay, well, this person goes in every same time every day. Let's find out more about that person. Same thing, probably social engineering to get in either physically or online. Social engineering can be done physically to gain access to a premises. There's not much difference. Um. I think there might be in terms of the criminal. I mean, a criminal is a criminal regardless. It's just in the eyes of the law, right? That's what defines a criminal, right? Firstly, a criminal has to get caught because he's not a criminal until he's been caught, right? Simple as that. That's the truth. <laughs> Chris is a bit bewildered. That's I had said that right, yeah? If you're not yeah. a criminal until you get caught, right? You yeah, but what, what I'm saying is there's not much... What but, but what what I'm saying is you, you're absolutely right, but there's there's not much difference between on, absolutely right. on the street, you know, uh, Jack Lad criminal, the one who goes around burgling people's houses and warehouses and things like that, as opposed less running to running involved. Yeah, as opposed to the cyber criminal, because it's the same thing, like I said. So from a cyber security uh, as, or a, from a hacking point of view, they find a target, they do the reconnaissance, the case, the joint. And then on the other hand, you've got the criminal on the street. He sees the warehouse with the big iron gates and he thinks, I want to get into there. So he does his reconnaissance. He does his research and figures out a way to get in there. It, there's, there's, there's not much difference. It, it, the, the, the premise is pretty much the same. doesn't matter whether you're breaking into a warehouse or breaking into a website. Not much difference. It depends. It depends. Methodology on... is the same. Well, it might be, but again, you could you could punch someone and rob someone, but not be very clever because it's just an opportunity. It's just you yep. just 
doing the most simple primitive thing versus someone who's doing a sophisticated hack has to have a certain level of IQ. I don't think you can get a certain level of IQ by just being somewhere within society where you don't have opportunity is what I'm saying. Yeah, so but I think I'll flip that. I'll flip that right round and say, you're saying there's, I could, you can punch somebody in the face and, and do whatever, but what's the difference of, <clears throat> and, and, and rob me, but what's the difference of some hacker ringing up some old lady and asking her for a bank account details so we can log in and take all of our money? What's well, a That's a scammer and not a, not necessarily a hacker. No, but um, what I'm seeing is it's, it's a similar, it's a similar thing. They share the same traits. I would say that, mean, the, that 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 the hackers and and the in this case lapses and the the person that's trying to rob the banks it shares some of the same traits that the the scammer that's going after grandma um, is is more of just a crime opportunity, of opportunity person. Yeah. So that, that um, that's what I'm saying. So that that's what Alan said. He gave the example of someone who was just an opportunist of you know punching someone in the face and taking their money. But if you look yeah, from a person, cyber perspective, it's, yeah, it's similar. I, you might not punch somebody in the face, but you know, you're still coercing this old grandma to give you her bank account, bank account details. We're going down an avenue that we're, we're none of us are completely skilled or even experienced or qualified to give. Yeah, but we chat shit about it, though, can't I? <laughs> I mean, this is like, can we, we, we need another couple of beers for that one. I mean, I'm well up for this conversation. I really am. But I'm just, just to kind of bring it back on track, um, I think that um, that hacking has been around for decades, especially since the digital revolution, right? Since the Department of Defense back in the day connected, you know, the internet back in the 70s or whatever it is. And you've got, what's his name? Sputnik, Sputnik not Sputnik. Um, Kevin. Since Al Gore invented the internet. Since Al Gore invented the internet. <laughs> what was his name? Kevin kind of spot. I can never remember his name. Mitnick, sorry, not Sputnik. Fucking Russian. Sputnik, the Russian Tsar. <laughs> but even because he's the most prolific, he's the most, he's the first one I remember kind of reading about in, in back in the day. Um, you know, telephone lines and God knows what, you know, breaching the old fashioned way. And now I look at him, he's, he's, I guess he's a multimillionaire because he does a lot of speaking and a lot of stuff. You know, because he's living off the, the bad things that he did, but he's doing good for it. But you've got a next generation of kids coming through. I mean, a 14-year-old. I mean, there's a lot of high IQ in these individuals these days because immediately they get exposed to applications. I mean, my daughter's nine years old, my youngest one, and already she's got an iPad, already she's got an iPhone because it's not me that wants to give it to it. It's society because her friends have got it at school. Her older brother and sister have got them. We've got them. So she wants to be integrated. And so she's getting exposed to this type of technology at an early age because she wants to be inclusive. So even at that age, they're getting made aware of technology and then they, you know, you're inquisitive, you're explorative, aren't you? To, to kind of go, right, okay, what does this do? What does that do? And all of a sudden, if you've got the knack to kind of get it straight away and understand how to navigate through, you know, using interfaces and understand how programs work, all of a sudden you're going to be there very, very quickly being able to exploit things because all of a sudden you think to yourself, is it a game? Is it a challenge? Or actually, I understand how I can actually win at this. I can be rewarded at this. And that's how you see these young kids being kind of propelled to, you know, hack because 
it's all about technology today, right? That, that's, the, that's the way it's going to go. You're going to hear more examples of these lapses and all sorts of other people. You'll only hear about them if you want to hear about them is what I will also say. That the, the reason why this news is out there is because they want you to know it's out there. They want to know that we caught these guys. So Microsoft wanted to say, release this article because we need to expose to say we've caught the guys so all our customers feel safe. You know, there's always this kind of marketing, social media thing going around to sort of like make sure that it's all kosher. But you never hear about banks being hacked. You know, you never hear about Barclays or whatever, but they're rumored to be hacked for millions year on year. But you never hear about it. But you hear about technology firms being kind of told, yeah, we've been hacked, you know, Experian being hacked. It's all sometimes, I think, manipulated even from that extent. You know, that's what I was saying. Is, I mean, some of these. I actually know a bloke these... that works for a bank. And if you give him a tenner. He'll, he'll do anything you want. I think I think you know him as well. He'll do anything for a tenner. Oh, Kieran. Karen. Karen, Kieran, Christian. Sorry, sorry, Chris. Um, Ryan talks over you all the time, doesn't he? That's all right. What That's what happens say? when I've drank a couple of beers. I'm sorry. Uh, I don't know what I was going to say. I, I, I got interrupted right by someone doing anything for a tenner. <laughs> Well, is your, is, is, oh, do you, want, do, you want a moment? do you want a moment? Okay, just turn the video off. Oh, you meant Ryan interrupted you. That was a metaphor. Sorry, I thought actually someone was coming into your room to... <laughs> <laughs> How many double IPAs have you had, sir? Just the one. It's 8% though. Well, does that mean if I have two... My Heineken, right, is 4%. So if I put two of them in a pint glass... Does that mean I've got a double IPA or double hiding? Oh, can both of them fit? <laughs> what you, physically or the content? <laughs> can't be a double hiding, because, right? Well, it would be. But is that the concept you're using here? Just to kind of bring us full circle back to the beginning of the, what we talked about the, the beginning of the podcast is the fact that you've got double the percentage, you're calling it double IPA. Is that, is that the premise here of, of America? <laughs> That is, I'll, I'll show you the label. I am not calling it a double IPA. If you can read that. That's reversed, isn't it? 16, so if it was 16% as an example, yeah, or 12, let's say 12%, 16%, would it be a treble IPA, quadruple IPA? I'm just, just asking. I've never seen Chris? anything referred to as a triple IPA. Well, that probably is the next marketing strategy from person who's uh, obviously made that beer that you're drinking they'll come out with a triple IPA why would they not I mean just saying I find it fascinating I, I find that more interesting than everything that we just talked about this evening by the way then we're absolutely screwed because this was supposed to be an interesting episode yeah now it's finished so might as well just call it a day I'll be honest with you I don't even know if it'll actually get published because Ryan's recording this and he's editing this, so he might screw oh, no, it up. No. Yeah, is it actually so, recording? Well, again, he, he says it is, but we don't know, uh, but we're just going to have to wait and see. I'm actually going to have to check this evening. <laughs> yeah, no, no, it says recording in the top. Uh, I can see it. <clears throat> no. but Chris, you might actually get you know, your voice heard to our millions of listeners out there, or maybe just a couple of them in that. Well, I guess that's a good time to stop it there, right? I guess so. Here's to Chris. Cheers. Cheers, Chris.